Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. John 19. You're reading from verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Down to verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him out to be crucified. So he took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. On verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, and were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But of the soldiers... One of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and at once there came up blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, that those also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, as Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Amen. All of Jesus' followers on that day had lost all hope. They did believe that Jesus had come from God. Now, they knew that because they had seen the miracles. They, they had seen Jesus make the lame walk. 
They had seen Jesus restore the sight of those that were blind. They saw him feed thousands of people with one boy's lunch. They had seen him resurrect the dead, Lazarus. They had seen Jesus stop a storm by simply speaking. They had seen the hand of God at work through the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus was on the cross, you just know what they were thinking. Come on, Jesus. Come on. We know you can do it. Show your power. Just come down from that cross and establish your kingdom for we know that you are sent from God. And they were just waiting to see Jesus finally come down. But instead, he died and was buried. It was over. The man they thought was the Messiah. The man they thought had come to establish the kingdom of God had died. All hope was lost. At the time, they did not understand that Jesus, the King of glory, who is God himself, God in the flesh, had humbled himself and came down to this broken world to save us from our sin. See, Jesus didn't come to show us the way. Jesus didn't come to enlighten us. Jesus did not come to show us how we can save ourselves. No. See, Jesus came, God himself came to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin and our condemnation and our deserved judgment, our guilt. He came to save But this cosmic rescue would not be easy because every one of us has sinned against an eternal and holy God. And so, therefore, we deserve eternal judgment. So, sin against a God is eternal, deserves eternal condemnation. The penalty must fit the crime. And so, sinning against an infinite God requires that we pay the price infinitely. There's only one way for humanity to be reconciled to a holy God, only Jesus. Only Jesus could do it because he is human. And so being human, he could represent humanity on the cross. But Jesus also being God, being infinite, being eternal himself, He alone could pay our eternal and infinite debt in a few moments on the cross. Only he could do it. The only other option for you and me is for us to pay for our own sin for eternity in hell. Either way, God's justice is upheld with an eternal God dying on the cross, taking our place, or us doing it ourselves, paying it for eternity. But God is just, and the cross shows that. But the cross also shows that God is love. He loves you, which is why Jesus cried out, it is finished. What did he complete? Salvation. 
He completed our redemption. The full price was paid. Our guilt, our shame, our, our sin was transferred to Him. And so we have had our sin removed if we will completely trust in Jesus alone. And so we celebrate on this Good Friday. And what's good about Good Friday? Well, all Fridays are good in the zoo, but what is good about this particular Friday is that we celebrate, we remember that on Friday, Jesus died in our place. And we'll celebrate in two days Easter morning over at Yaz Beach at 6 in the morning. Hope all of you can make it. It will be a great time. And we'll celebrate the resurrection. We'll celebrate together that he is risen. Because the story did not end with the death of Jesus dying in our place. The story continued with the resurrection. And so he is alive. The grave could not hold him. The grave was not strong enough. Jesus is stronger. He overcame sin, but death itself. And so we're going to see today John 20, where it describes the resurrection and how significant and profound this is and how he encountered Mary Magdalene, this woman, in the same series of encountering Jesus. We're going to see that this same resurrected Jesus who encountered Mary is the same resurrected Jesus who wants to encounter you today. So let's read out of John chapter 20 and read about the resurrection and his encounter with Mary. John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but all the disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb. As she had wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if I carried away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned, it's an Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Praise God. This is a remarkable account of Jesus' resurrection as he encountered Mary on that first Easter morning. Let me give you the primary truth. So the main idea from this story is that Jesus overcomes our hopelessness through his resurrection. And so Jesus overcomes our despair. He overcomes our, our hopelessness through his resurrection. This story describes three people. It describes Mary and Peter and one more disciple was not named, but it's probably John because John wrote this gospel and he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And so you have John, Peter, and Mary that are being described in this story. But if you look at them, they had all lost hope. They look in the empty grave, look in the tomb. Peter looks in, and then he goes home, and John goes home. Now, the other Gospels tell us that they went back to fishing. They didn't just go home for tea. They were defeated. They had no hope. They went back to what they knew. Jesus was dead, and they couldn't understand why the tomb was empty. Someone had taken the corpse, but they didn't know Jesus was alive. They didn't believe that he was alive. They had lost all hope. Now, Mary did stay there at the grave in tears, just so broken. But even Mary was experiencing the exact opposite of hope. There was no expectation that Jesus was alive. There was, there was no confidence that he was alive. What you had was deep disappointments and brokenness and sorrow. She's just so sad. She had lost all hope. And every one of us, to one degree or another, can battle against hopelessness. We can lose our hope. Every one of us can. Maybe you're a guest today, and this whole thing of being in a church gathering is something that's new to you, or someone invited you, and so you're here today, but really you don't even know what you believe. And so you're glad you're here, but you're not too sure about this whole Christianity and following Jesus thing. Here's the truth that I'm going to speak very directly to all of us, but particularly if you're here and you're not sure what you believe. The truth is that you actually do know deep down that something is wrong with you. Maybe you're not sure what it is, you, you can't put your finger on it, but the reality is that every one of us has something deep inside of us that is very wrong with us. And if you don't think so, then why do you work so hard? Why do you always want to be right? Why is it that you care so much about what you look like, your, your appearance? Is it because you know that deep inside there is something wrong with you and you're trying to fix yourself or improve yourself or you want to cover up what you know is not right in your soul? Just like the first people, Adam and Eve, when they turned away from God, Immediately, they felt shame. They saw that they were naked. And the first thing they did was they went and got some fig leaves and they covered themselves up. 
Is it possible that all of your attempts at religion or maybe your attempts at self-improvement or your attempts at being successful in life is nothing more than fig leaves? Where you're trying to cover up what you know is shameful or wrong deep inside in your life. But I believe that also, if you're honest with yourself, that deep down inside, despite your, your success in your work or your attempts being a good person, deep down inside, you know that you'll never be able to cover up what you know is wrong with you. We all need hope. And his name is Jesus. And he is risen. And only he can purify you. Only he can change you. Only he can fix what is wrong with your soul. Jesus has come. And he, Jesus himself, overcomes our hopelessness through his resurrection. We just read here in the Bible in John chapter 20 that he is resurrected. This is not an opinion. This is not just a religious teaching. It's not. This is very verifiable, historic, absolute, objective truth. It happened in human history. This is absolute truth that applies to every person, everywhere, all of all human history. This is objective truth. There were eyewitnesses. There were over 500 people that saw him. He is alive. The resurrection is true. And it's the basis for our hope. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Because the resurrection it proves that he really is God and he overcame the grave and the death has lost its sting. We have hope to face tomorrow and eternity. But we also have hope for today. We have hope because he's endured our guilt and our shame. And he resurrected from the dead in victory. And his victory is now our victory. And the penalty of our sin has been paid. And so there is nothing that keeps you from God. There's no more impediment. There's no more wall. There's no more chasm. There is nothing that would prevent you to run and really know God and to have him change your soul, change your heart so that you love him and you want him. There's nothing that keeps you from God because it's been paid and the offer of forgiveness and being reconciled is available to everyone. This living Christ desires to encounter you face to face, just like he encountered Mary, and we all desperately need hope. What are you facing today? What are you facing? Are you facing uncertainty? Are you facing emotional pain? Physical pain? Are you facing conflict that you just can't seem to resolve? What are you facing? What is heavy on your heart this morning? 
whether it's something that for you is fairly small that you think you can manage, but it's not working, whether you think it's big or everything in between, whatever you are facing today, you have to hear from the authority of God's word that there is hope. It's not hopeless. If he can resurrect Jesus, he can resurrect your marriage. If he can resurrect Jesus, he can resurrect that dead situation that you're facing, that you see no hope for it. He can change your heart. He can change his or her heart. He can do it. He is the one who raises the dead. There is hope. We have to walk in this and believe this, that we have hope because of the resurrection. So let's look at this story for a few moments, and our time is brief. But let's look at this and see exactly how Jesus meets us where we are and how he gives us hope. How? Well, one, in your hopelessness, number one, Jesus seeks you. In your hopelessness, number one, Jesus seeks you. When Jesus died and was buried, it says the first day of the week, so on Sunday, early morning, it was still dark. It says that Mary saw the stone was taken away. So she saw it was taken away. And so she runs to get the disciples, the spiritual leaders, Peter and John. And they run, and they see the cloths so the grave clothes are lying in the tomb, but there's no body. And, and the face cloth is folded up neatly. And then they can't make sense of this. They don't know what's happening. Where is the body? Jesus is dead. Where's the corpse? Someone took it. Has to have been. Mary believes someone took it. The disciples believe someone took it. But here's what's crazy. Jesus told them, I'm going to die and be resurrected on the third day. He told them this wasn't a secret. Everyone knew. The other gospels record that the, the enemies, the, the Pharisees and other leaders, they even knew that Jesus claimed it. Why? They put guards in front. I mean, this was, everyone had heard him say this. So you would think, why weren't the disciples just having a picnic, having breakfast outside of the tomb, waiting for it to happen? Why weren't they hanging around eagerly? They weren't. They didn't believe it was going to happen. They had no hope that he would actually resurrect. They had no way of thinking that. And actually, no one did. The Greeks believed that all things material were evil. The spirit was good. So the Greeks believed that salvation was to finally leave this evil material world and just be a spirit in the spirit world. And, and so the idea of coming back with the body was revolting to the Greeks. Like, no, no, that would never happen. And so resurrection was not in the Greek thinking. But the Jews, a little bit different, they didn't believe what the Greeks believed, but the Jews did believe in a resurrection at the end of human history for all of those that loved and followed God, for the righteous. But again, they believed in a general resurrection for all the righteous at the end of human history. Not a single person in the middle of human history was unthinkable. And so the idea that he was alive was just too incredible, too out there, just not possible. He's dead. Not too different from modern thinking. They just couldn't believe it. Despite the Old Testament 
promises that we read earlier in Isaiah 53, that he'd be cut off and yet that he would, he would resurrect. You see that promise and yet they couldn't see it. Mary was devastated. She's in tears and she's in anguish. And so she believes not only did Jesus die, but now someone has stolen the dead body and is now dishonoring his memory. And so she talks to the angels. Like, this is amazing. She's so in shock and grief-stricken. She's talking to angels, and she, it, like, it doesn't register, hey, these are God's messengers. She's just talking, yeah, where's this body? And then she turns and sees what she thinks is a gardener, but it's Jesus. But she doesn't even see that it's Jesus. She wasn't looking for Jesus. Well, she kind of was a dead Jesus. She was looking for dead Jesus. She wasn't looking for the resurrected, living Jesus. She had her ideas of what she should be looking for. And yet, Jesus was seeking Mary. When she was not seeking him, he was pursuing and seeking And he's talking to her, asking her questions to get her to realize who this is, and she doesn't see it. He's right there. He's standing right there. And she's too blind. No hope. She can't see him. In the middle of this unbearable pain and this deep sadness and greatest fears or maybe profound disappointment, things that we face in our daily lives, when you think that there's no hope for healing or no hope for change, you think that you just have no strength in your soul to keep going. Jesus is seeking you. He's pursuing you and he desperately loves you and wants you to love him and experience joy deep inside. Jesus lost all his joy on the cross emptied of joy, so that you and I could be filled with joy and have our joy complete. And he knows your struggles. He knows what you're going through. He knows that you're not seeking him. He knows that you're seeking for something that ultimately won't satisfy. But he also knows that he has made you for himself, and so he is seeking and pursuing you and will never give up on you. Second is in our hopelessness, Jesus calls you. So first, when you think you've lost all hope, he is seeking you. And second, he then calls you. Mary was so spiritually blind, he's right there. She can recognize him. Now, we can make excuses for her and say, well, it, it was still dark. I mean, the sun hadn't come up yet. And she was crying, and so maybe her eyes were full of tears, and she couldn't quite make out that, oh, that was Jesus. Or maybe he looked a little bit different in his resurrected body. I don't know why she didn't recognize him, but it's much deeper than those reasons, much deeper. In her hopelessness, she could not see the truth, the mercy, and the hope that was standing right there in front of her. 
She couldn't see Jesus, and honestly, we are no different. And there's some of you in this room that you're playing games. If you're really honest with yourself, for real, you're playing religious games. And you do the religious thing on occasion, you show up here in the zoo, maybe even hit home group on occasion, put in a few durums in the bag so you feel good about yourself. But the reality is that you don't love Jesus. And you are not entrusting your soul to him. And you're, you're looking for something, but really it's not Jesus. And he's right there. And he's seeking you, and you don't even see him, maybe because you're too busy. Maybe you're too busy with, I don't know, but maybe numbing pain from your past. And you're so busy trying to numb that pain with whatever chosen emotional medication you can think of to just numb the pain. And you're so busy trying to keep the pain away that you don't even see that healing is standing in front of you. Maybe a sinful habit has just overtaken you and you're too busy enthralled in that. Maybe you're too busy trying to earn God's love by trying to be good. You don't have to earn it. He already earned it for you. You can't earn it. Aren't you exhausted of trying to earn it? He's right there. Maybe you're just too busy with life, with kids and bills and just busyness of life, and you, don't, you haven't opened your eyes to realize that he is right there. But for whatever the reason you have for not seeing Jesus and not looking to him, I don't know what the reason is, but the result is the same nonetheless, that your soul is still yearning for something, for hope. And you just can't quite seem to find rest for your soul. And in the middle of your struggles, Jesus is calling you. Verse 16 is so powerful. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned, and she saw him. He called her by name. When he called her, then her blindness was lifted, and she could see Jesus, see hope and joy and mercy and healing right there. Hope was right there. Jesus was there. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. His voice he, his sheep hear his voice, and they know him, and they follow him. And here you have Mary. She hears him call her name, and she responds. She knows him. What is calling out to you on this Good Friday, Easter weekend? What is calling out to you? Because there's something or someone that is just calling out, but whatever it is, I can tell you it will not satisfy Whatever your soul feels drawn to, if it's not Jesus, it'll let you down. Jesus is calling you by name. And he's calling you, saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Look up. As I have seen the Lord and see him. He yearns for you to look into his eyes and 
find mercy and to give you rest and to fill you and to feel his love and just rush in and fill your soul. So Jesus, in our hopelessness, he is seeking us and he is calling us. But lastly, Jesus stays near. So Jesus stays near you. You see, when Mary saw Jesus, she, when she recognized who he was and she ran, can you just picture her just holding on to him so tightly? Can you just imagine her just falling on the ground and just clinging on to him and saying, I lost you once. I'm never going to lose you again. I'm never going to let you go. He's just loving him and holding on to him. And Jesus says, no, 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 Mary, you don't have to cling to me like this. You don't have to cling so tightly. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I'm going to my Father, your Father, my God and your God. I'm, I'm ascending. Now, when Jesus died, his body was put in the grave Friday night and on Saturday and then Sunday morning he resurrected. But where did his spirit go? Where was the spirit? Now, the body was bare, but where was the spirit of Jesus? Well, when Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross, he says, on this day, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul says in 10 Corinthians 5 that to be absent in the body is present with the Lord, home with the Lord. And so we can tell that Jesus... Body was in the ground, but his spirit went to heaven that Friday night and that Saturday until Sunday morning when his spirit left heaven and was reunited with his body that was buried and he resurrected. So now he's bodily resurrected, body and, and spirit reunited, but he had not yet physically, bodily ascended back up to the Father. Now, that word ascension, it's a big word. I know we have our children joining us this morning, and so I want to define it. We're talking about the ascension of Jesus. What does the word ascension mean? It means to go up. That's what it means, to rise up. But it's more than that. It usually carries the weight of rising up to an important position, usually royalty. And so a king ascends to the throne. He doesn't just go up the steps and sit on a chair. I mean, he actually does do that, but it's more than that. The king ascends, rises up to a position of ruling authority. And so the ascension shows us that Jesus not only physically went up to heaven, which he did, but it's more than that. He went up to be the king. He ascended to the throne to rule over the hearts of his people. We are members of the kingdom of Jesus. But when he ascended, he also sent someone in his place. He sent his spirit. And so Jesus is still loving his people and teaching his people and leading his people just like he did when he was walking on the earth. He is still doing that, but he does it through his spirit and he does it to all believers across the planet at the same time. Praise be to God. This is better. With Jesus' ascension coming of the Spirit, Jesus is still with us. We still have his presence. It's better that he ascended and sent the Spirit. And so now we have 
his presence. And it's not like Mary who was just holding on to him in her arms. Now he is in our hearts. We have the joy of his presence at all time. So when Jesus spoke to Mary, he was saying, Mary, when I ascend to the Father, I'm not leaving you. You're not going to lose me. I'm going to send my spirit. And through him, you will always have my presence with you. I'm always going to be near you. I'll never leave you. I love you. That's why I died and I resurrected. I'll always be near you. I'm seeking you. I'm calling you to myself and I'll be close. Are you struggling today? If you are, you can rest today knowing that your salvation is complete. If you will, with all of your heart, trust in Jesus today, you can rest knowing that he's in complete control of everything. Jesus' last dying breath was, it is finished. And then it says, he gave up his spirit. Even in death, you see his sovereignty. In complete control, he laid down his life willingly. And so he's in control of your life and your circumstances. He's resurrected and he is ascended. You don't have to be strong. He is strong. All you have to do is let him hold you. Jesus is seeking you and he is calling you. Can you hear him? Maybe today for the first time you're hearing him call you. If so, please come find me. I would love to talk to you and pray with you and show you how you can know Jesus. Have this joy and be filled. And then you will know what it feels like for him to stay near and have his presence. So whatever you're facing, Jesus is greater. After all, we serve a resurrected Savior who overcame the grave. And so, we have hope. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. You are so good. Thank you for sending your Son to save us from our sin. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the ascension. Thank you for sending us your Spirit. Thank you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you for filling us and sustaining us. Thank you for the promised hope of our own resurrection one day where we too will be physically resurrected and to live with you in your presence forever with our joy complete. We yearn for that day. So we pray, come, Jesus, and come quickly. And until you do, we will follow you for you are better. And we pray, in the name of our Savior, our love, and our King Jesus, amen.